0: Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. In today's episode, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the things that crossed my attention this past week, and just follow a little more deeply some of the themes that have been coming to light recently. So this past week, a group of Bitcoiners was looking for a place to meet for their regular meetup, and they were talking about whether or not it would be a good idea to set themselves up as a church and actually to perhaps uh, buy a church as a meeting venue. And the idea there being that there are tax benefits to setting up as a church. And so I think that's a very interesting idea, and going along with the theme of this podcast, which is how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus Christ, it's actually not such a strange idea, even just from a philosophical or principle-based point of view. In fact, a lot of the discussion among the Bitcoiners was around the fact that Bitcoin is doing a good work, just as churches are doing a good work as well. And I think for being someone who's kind of been in the Bitcoin community for a little while, at least I can say that I've seen a lot of times how other Bitcoiners, even those who are not religious, they often have a belief and a faith in Bitcoin or in the principles of Bitcoin that... Is tantamount to religion. So I think the whole idea is not really far off. And uh, that's kind of interesting to me. I personally, though, would just caution against uh, taking advantage too much of the tax benefits that are available to not just churches, but to all nonprofit organizations and things like that, because those laws are structured in such a way that as soon as you take advantage of them, uh, then you become obliged to fulfill the requirements of those laws. I mean, the government stipulates who is eligible to receive those benefits, and part of the criteria for deciding eligibility is whether or not you cooperate with certain ideals or ideologies that the government espouses. And just to name some obvious ones that are contentious, not necessarily only to Bitcoiners, but certainly also to Bitcoiners. One is stance or cooperation with vaccination agendas. One, Another one is um, alignment with the LGBT agenda. And the third, which isn't perhaps so much on the scene yet but I believe is just around the corner, is alignment with the world's new upcoming financial system based on CDBCs or whatever they end up being called. And so, and that's one that particularly is going to strike at the heart obviously of what Bitcoin is all about and what Bitcoiners believe. And so I think that's something that really needs to be taken into consideration before any Bitcoin meetup contemplates becoming a nonprofit organization or in any form taking advantage of, you know, government benefits in regards to uh, taxation or things like that. So, um, in fact, even churches, well, I mean, you can see just by looking at the 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 way that the church has bowed down in recent years to all kinds of propagandized ideologies that are blatantly contrary to what the Bible says, what the Bible teaches, and what Christians have stood for through two millennia and what God fearing people have stood through for all time stood against through all time and so just to see how that in recent years has plagued the churches uh, and understanding that that is directly connected to the tax benefits that churches receive that's really something to watch out for and even churches would do better to forego the tax benefits in order to be free to serve god with a whole heart undivided And, you know, there's a lot to that subject uh, that we could go into, and if you want to find a faithful church, find one that isn't a 501c3, because churches that are 501c3s, you can be sure that the government has made a point to single that church out and to prove that they are in alignment with the government's criteria. And every church that is an official 501c3 organization has gone through that. And it may not seem like it affects every church. For example, you might belong to a local church where these things don't seem to be a problem in your congregation. That's, well, seem is the key word there, but there's another facet to this that also needs to be considered, and that's that the organizational structure of 501c3 organizations has to be such that the leadership at the top level has authority over the organization, and that has to be in the bylaws of the organization, and basically what that does is it, it, it's for the sake of the government that when they evaluate the organizations to see whether they are meeting the criteria necessary for the for receiving the benefits of of the five hundred one c three designation, that whatever policies or rules. The, government, the organization puts in place at the top level that those are actually effective all the way down through the organization. And if that organization can show that, that in their bylaws, their decisions are legally binding all the way down to the lower echelons of the organization, then the government is satisfied that when the leadership agrees to the criteria for the tax benefits and demonstrates compliance that that is actually meaningful and that it does mean that the whole organization is obliged to sort of abide by that as well and so that's kind of key that type of leadership structure that is that is top down is key to how the government evaluates compliance with the laws concerning tax benefits. And so many churches historically did not have that type of structure, which was by design, because churches are different than top-down organizations, or they should be. They normally are, according to the Bible in the sense that, you know, the church, as it was founded by Jesus Christ, was a body of believers that didn't have a hierarchical organization. It was in the sense that the disciples had influence and standing, but it was not in the sense that there was a legal construct through which the apostles ruled the church. That was never so in the early church. And instead, the church had something else. It had the Holy Spirit, which was the power of God leading the church. So, in essence, the church's true leader was never the disciples. It was never the apostles, the 12 apostles. It was never any... Particular person or group of people aside from Jesus Christ himself. He is the only absolute leader of the church and he leads through the Holy Spirit. Ever since he departed to heaven 40 days after his resurrection and then he sent the gift of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost to the church, ever since then he has been directing the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is a completely different model. It's not the top-down model of organization that we see prevalent in legal organizations today and which is required for 501c3 compliance. Instead, the way the Holy Spirit works is that The Holy Spirit works on the hearts and through the minds of individual church members. And it is the body of the church, the members in total, who, being influenced by the Holy Spirit, come to a consensus on the truth and on the direction that God is leading the church. And when that happens, that is just recognized by the leadership and then kind of uh, formalized and established as necessary through the influence of the leaders. And examples of that are in scripture. For example, uh, when there was a question about the teachings of Paul, for example, and he uh, had been teaching and you know, various parts of Asia. And then at some point he went to Jerusalem where the leaders of the church were, the disciples of Jesus, the apostles. And he spoke with them there and they had to sort of come to a decision because there were some among the church who were critical of Paul and, uh, you know, spreading spreading, uh, false reports about him teaching against the laws of Moses and things like that. And then there were others who, well, there was the report of, you know, Paul himself and and others who recognized that God was doing an amazing work of reaching the Gentile populations through the work of Paul. And so the leadership had to kind of take the consensus, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit on the matter And they, of course, being filled with the Holy Spirit themselves, were able to make that determination and recognize the fact that if God was pouring out His Spirit on the Gentiles, then who were they to forbid them from becoming part of the church and being recognized as fellow heirs with Christ? And this you know, Peter was instrumental in that decision, in part because he himself had a similar experience on a smaller scale when he was called by the Holy Spirit to meet with Cornelius and his household. And, you know, they were Gentiles. And normally, Jews would not go and meet with Gentiles in that way. And yet, through the Holy Spirit, God not only uh, worked the, through Peter and instructed Peter, but also through Cornelius. And that led to the conversion and, you know, baptism of, of his whole household. So that's, those are examples of how the Holy Spirit works through consensus, through the working of individuals, not alone, but together. you know, by moving them all in the same direction. And in that way, there's a unity in the body of Christ that is even more powerful than the top-down unity or apparent unity of a hierarchical structure like the type of legal organization that governments expect to see in churches. And so that top-down kind of essentially a dictatorial type of structure is what protestantism has classically fought against at some point the early church went through a metamorphosis and became essentially the early catholic church which was a top-down kind of kingly authority type of structure where the pope ultimately you know had the final say and held the ultimate sway in the church and uh, because of that and because of the recognition of how that is counter to Christ counter to the principles of Christianity as laid forth in the Bible and counter to the leading of God all through The biblical record, even back to the time of Saul and Samuel, it was recognized that desiring a king to rule the nation was always in conflict with God's ultimate desire and best interest for his people. He wanted to lead through the influence of the priests and through his own influence through the priestly system and the sort of sacrificial system. And the point there is that God, the sort of overarching point, is that God wants people to serve him. In his kingdom, he wants the people of his kingdom to serve out of love and out of the goodness of their heart, out of the free will decision of their mind. He doesn't want obligatory service. He doesn't want to be the dictator that says, you shall do this, you shall do that, and then receive robotic service in exchange. No, his kingdom is founded on the principles of love. Love that invites others to participate and, and give of their best talents for the love of it. And the reward is there. You know, God is just. He's not a slave driver but he rewards those who serve him willingly out of love. And that's what he seeks, not obedience in the strict sense just because he said so. And that's the difference between the model of leadership of the church through the moving of the Holy Spirit on individual members to form a consensus versus the top-down hierarchy uh, that's modeled sort of by the Catholic Church and by many other churches that follow a similar structure. And today, particularly in recent years, because of, I don't know, various um, strengthening of the laws, particularly in the United States, but also around the world, just in recent years in the in the, the teens, you know, 2015, you know, around that time, uh, many churches, they all had to hold these big meetings, synods, and, you know, uh, whatever uh, conferences, uh, meetings that they had to hold, each within the context of their own church organization. They had to do these uh, meetings in order to kind of, one way or another, uh bring their churches into this hierarchical type of church organizational structure. And that is what allowed them, and they were motivated to do so by the tax benefits that they had been receiving and wanted to continue to receive. And that's why so many churches, kind of all in the span of a few short years, jumped on the bandwagon of sort of popular culture, it wasn't because they really wanted to. It was because they were, you know, their arms were twisted. They, in order to continue receiving tax benefits, they had to fall in line with, you know, the government agendas. And it's kind of a sad outcome, honestly, for the churches that they've basically sold their souls, so to speak. And in the end, just like With the kingdom of Israel, who uh, chose Saul to be their leader, they ultimately suffered under the rulership of kings throughout their history until they went into captivity, in a large part due to the oppression and less-than-ideal leadership of those kings. And so, in the same way, the churches have sold themselves to the powers of government And, you know, basically quite literally by receiving the tax benefits in exchange for compliance with, you know, all the agendas and whatever requirements the state demands of them. And for that reason, even if a particular local congregation, you know, has its own beliefs and, you know, really, you know, kind of sticks to what the Bible teaches and, you know, whatever, you know, they may think they're on the right track, but when the rubber meets the road, they are part of an organization that has a top-down structure. And ultimately, they are obliged to comply for the tax benefits. And the only way out of that is to simply opt out, and say, okay, thanks, but no thanks. You know, okay, I would like to have tax benefits, but if it's going to come with strings attached, then no thanks. And again, I just say, you know, if you want to find a church that's truly free to do God's will and and doing God's will, then a litmus test is to see, well, how are they organized? Do they have a top-down leadership structure? And are they a 501c3 organization then you know that they are handcuffed and they aren't going to be speaking the word of god freely and truly and if you do find a church that is speaking the word of god freely and truly look at its organizational structure and verify that it is not a 501c3 that it is not a nonprofit organization in the traditional sense that churches have traditionally been. Look for a church that is organized differently and, uh, you know, one that does not take advantage of the tax benefits. And while that may make it a little bit more costly to operate and a little bit more costly to donate to, because you, as a donor, you would not be receiving uh, a, a tax-deductible receipt that you can go and, you know, f- file when you uh, claim deductions on your taxes. So, it's more costly, both for the church and for the supporters of the church, but in the end, it's freedom, and you have to ask yourself how much freedom is worth. And, How much freedom are you willing to give up for monetary benefit? And how much monetary benefit do you want in exchange for your freedom? These are questions that churches and individuals need to ask and, you know, count the cost. And, you know, this podcast is about Bitcoin and we're going to get into what all this has to do with Bitcoin in just a moment, but just... To start off with, you know, ask yourself if you're receiving financial benefits as a church or uh, as any kind of a group that's organizing uh, and hoping to take advantage of tax benefits for nonprofit organizations, you should really be asking yourself, is the benefit that you're receiving in financial, in, in fiat financial terms worth the price you're paying? in terms of loss of freedom. When money can be printed by the trillions, by the powers that be, is that that valuable to you? Is, is 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 the money that they can print for free so valuable to you that you would trade your freedom for that? Would you become a slave to one for something that, he, that costs him nothing? When you put it in that perspective, it really makes a person think. And I would... I mean, especially Bitcoiners. Bitcoiners should know better. They should value freedom and they should value hard money, money that doesn't come easy. And the tax benefits that you receive are not hard money. If you're receiving tax benefits in Bitcoin in exchange for freedom, at least you'd have something to think about. But to receive paper money, fiat money, worthless money in exchange for your freedoms, that's something that's a lot harder to justify. And, you know, I'm not the expert and I can't say what all the reasons people have for decisions they might make. So, you know, that's that's where the beauty of the Holy Spirit system works is that, you know, I'm in my area and I see what I see and I can only follow the spirits leading in the context of my own life, but you are in your location and you have to seek the Holy Spirit's guidance in your situation, and as you do so, the Holy Spirit may lead you in a way that seems different than the way that he's leading me in my area, but it's not different. It's just that it is in the context of your situation, and so for that reason, I have to be careful that I don't necessarily judge you or condemn you for how the Holy Spirit's leading you, even if it may not seem like what the holy spirit would be leading me if i were in those circumstances cuz i'm not i'm in different circumstances so it's it's tricky but at the same time that's the beauty of how god leads through the holy spirit and how ultimately we have unity in the holy spirit even though we live in very different circumstances uh, at times just kind of as a hypothetical example talking in you know vague terms you know general terms and so, you know, just to say that if you are looking at organizing a nonprofit organization for your Bitcoin meetup in a particular location, you know, you have uh, to consider all the circumstances that surround you and ultimately make the best decision that you're able to considering all the facts. And so I'm just here to try to share some of the gotchas, some of the things that might not be so obvious. And I hope that the things I've shared have, you know, given you some insight in that regard so that you can ultimately make the best decision if you're a Christian, according to God's leading. We'll just say it that way, according to the Holy Spirit's leading. And this discussion about the two different models of church organization you know, the original model of God's leading through the Holy Spirit versus the kingly structure of top-down leadership, that discussion is extremely relevant in the context of Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the financial equivalent to the Holy Spirit structure, whereas the fiat system is the financial equivalent to the kingly, top-down leadership structure. So it's the it's the financial kings, so to speak, who decide monetary policy and decide when to print money or when to tighten interest rates or, you know, all these things. It's the, the kings of the earth that decide that in the fiat financial system. And that's the system that tends toward slavery and that You know, Bitcoiners understand that, or they should understand that. And, you know, on the flip side, there's Bitcoin that brings a different system, a a system of rules without rulers, a system of individual sovereignty, where just like how the Holy Spirit leading the church, you know, the Holy Spirit, Christians understand that the Holy Spirit dwells inside the believer. And as such, the Holy Spirit being a representative, being the representative of Jesus Christ himself, you know, the the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent on his behalf to be with his people, since he could not be with us personally on account of his incarnation and ascension, he sent the Holy Spirit who is omnipresent, who can be with everyone all at the same time. The Holy Spirit is his representative dwelling in, in the heart, in the mind of the believer. And as such, that is the proof of our heritage as Christians. It's the crown, so to speak. It's the evidence, the manifestation of our right as sons and daughters of God, the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And as such, that makes us not just sons and daughters of God, but in that sense, kings and priests as well. And this is just what the Bible says, okay? the You know, it speaks about the children of God, the, the believers in Jesus Christ being kings and priests unto God. And in the financial context, in the realm of Bitcoin, that's what Bitcoin enables. That's what Bitcoin brings. When you hold Bitcoin, you are, when you hold it, in the correct way, by uh, keeping the keys to your coins, then you are sovereign over that money. It's the same model that God intends for the church, where each individual is sovereign, possessing the Holy Spirit as a son or daughter of God. And that's kind of on the one side. And on the other side is this principle of consensus and You know everyone who understands bitcoin understands the importance of consensus and the way that the bitcoin nodes all work together to form a consensus on the truth of the bitcoin blockchain the truth of the financial state of all bitcoin holders and you know, that happens through the, the proof of work mechanism, through the, you know, the longest chain, uh, having the most work invested and thus being the most credible and that determination being made across all the nodes around the world and then, um, you know, sharing that uh, information over the network and ultimately, uh, you know, forming a consensus on which blockchain is the longest and therefore the most credible and the most accurate. So, you know, that, is, that, that consensus mechanism is a direct reflection of how things work in the kingdom of God. How the Holy Spirit moves and, and works in the lives of individuals, but then as a body, as individuals communicate and uh, sort of share their experiences and their understanding in the things of God, that a consensus is formed regarding what is truth in the biblical sense, and what is the leading of God, so to speak, for the church? And so, the, you know, the things on the earth are patterned, the things of God on the earth are patterned after the things of heaven. And so to see the monetary system of Bitcoin following the pattern of the heavenly gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, the spiritual thing, the, the 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 monetary things following the pattern of the spiritual things is a huge piece of evidence in my opinion that shows that bitcoin is divinely ordained it is something that god has given us at this particular point in time for a special purpose connected with the return of jesus and if you're still not completely sold on Bitcoin. You know, if you're still dabbling with altcoins or still locked into the fiat system and, you know, serving those other systems, you know, serving as a slave to the financial systems of the world, then I, I can only encourage you to use the time that remains, the little time that remains, as efficiently as possible to shift your mindset and start to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven by uh, moving your wealth out of the systems of the world, out of the stocks and bonds and bank accounts and real estate investments and any other form of worldly wealth. Move it out of those systems and move it into the system that supports the kingdom of heaven, which is Bitcoin. And, you know, the Bible speaks very plainly about at the end of the world, that the money of the wealthy will be burned up. It will disappear. It will be destroyed. And the only thing that's going to be of value is ultimately Jesus Christ. And so you can show your alignment with Christ today right now by moving your wealth even if even if you don't have wealth so to speak but you just have a little bit of money put what you do have in bitcoin put as much as you can and study bitcoin to align yourself with the principles of the kingdom of god in a practical sense not to neglect spiritual things but in this way you can bring the pattern of the heavenly things into your practical life into your daily life of spending money of using money to go about life in this world so yeah i think that's a very important comparison to understand how the consensus of the bitcoin network is really a reflection it's a it's it's patterned after the heavenly design of you know god's leadership through the holy spirit and Along with that is this concept of we are all Satoshi. It's kind of a slogan or a saying in the Bitcoin community. And that's why you see everywhere here and there, everywhere, you know, people naming their accounts, naming, you know, everything Satoshi this, Satoshi that, you know, because it's kind of like Satoshi in the context of Bitcoin is kind of like the name Joshua in the time of Christ. It was it was a name, you know, which is the same as the name Jesus. That's That was the name that Jesus was given. And just to kind of understand it, uh, understand the, the culture around it, it would be comparable to like the name John in uh, modern times. Um, you know, and that actually has a significance too. Obviously, it comes, its popularity comes from the Apostle John who saw the revelation. He saw the coming of Jesus. And so, of course, everybody wants to be alive and see the coming of Jesus. And so, therefore, the name John is so attractive, so popular. Um, and But it's so popular to the point that today, uh, if you just want to refer to a generic name, you refer to John Doe, right? John. It's just, it's, that's like you know, anybody could be named John, right? And um, and that is significant because it's it's significant in the same way that Jesus was named Jesus or, or Joshua. Jesus is just the Greek form of Joshua. And The name Joshua or Jesus was so common in that day because Joshua historically was the man who led the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, who led them in conquering Canaan. And being that the nation of Israel was always looking forward to the coming Messiah who would, especially in the time of Jesus, who would deliver them from the bondage of the Romans... Uh, they were looking for the the new Joshua, right? Uh, in the same way that Christians today are looking for the John, you know, the one who is going to see and tell of the coming of Jesus, you know, the one who's going to herald and announce the coming of Jesus. And so, um, you know, this is all really, really uh, stuff that's really dear to my heart. And I wish I kind of had the the freedom to speak a little more, plainly about some of these things. But, but to the point of Satoshi, um, Satoshi is the John or the Joshua or the Jesus name, so to speak, that everybody has on their tongue right now, because Bitcoin is this financial system that promises liberty, promises individual sovereignty, prom- promises freedom from the Romans, so to speak, from the fiat financial systems of this world, from the world government, so to speak. And therefore, the the one who everyone was looking for, the Savior, the, the Messiah, the, the John, the Joshua, in the financial sense, he has appeared with the pseudonymous name, Satoshi and it's significant also that it's a pseudonym it's not the real name it's a name that nobody knows right the the real name nobody knows at least in the sense that nobody knows the real name of Satoshi Nakamoto and that's significant also just you know in comparison to the fact that John is such a sort of a pseudonymous name to, to, to say somebody's name is John is is does not really tell you who they are because there are so many Johns in the world, you know. And uh, just like to say, oh, did you meet Jesus? You know, in the time of Jesus, that was like saying, oh, have you met John? Well, it's like, okay, John who? You know, well, Jesus who? Oh, well, Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, you know, that Jesus, you know, Okay. You know, uh, you know, it was like saying, oh, you know, have you met Joshua? And it's like, oh, oh yeah, Joshua who? You know, the sa- the Savior Joshua. Yeah. Okay, where, you know, which Joshua is that? Which of the million Joshuas is, are you referring to? So, you know, Satoshi is, is the same way. It's like, you know, but the point is even deeper than that. It's, you know, in a certain way, it's interesting what happened with the name Jesus, because is. Famous and beloved as Jesus was, he was so special that I think there's a certain fear of, you know, or respect, let's say, um, that prevents people from naming themselves Jesus or naming their children Jesus. Um, Although that's not the same in every culture. I mean, you know, Jesus in Spanish, for example, is not such a rare name. Uh, But even so, uh, it's not as common as one, for example, John. So so there is still, you know, there's a reservation that people have about calling their children, naming their children after Jesus directly. And that's, you know, that's understandable, you know, because nobody wants to be blasphemous or to be presumptuous or or to, you know, give their child a name that's going to make them be compared with one who is incomparable, simply put. And so, you know, that's understandable. But in the same, uh, uh, kind of on the other side of the coin, as Christians, it is our desire and our striving to become like Christ. And ultimately, to the point of, you know, sharing in his nature and becoming children of God with him, sons and daughters of God, just as he was the son of God. And that gives us a connection to Jesus that is very personal, very, you know, he's our brother. In so far as, you know, in ancient cultures, sometimes exchanging names was something that, people would do as a sign of showing how connected they were in spirit and mind to that person. And um, you can even see that kind of uh, reflected in the story of Jonathan and David. They didn't exchange names, but they kind of went through this, this exchange of, they put on each other's apparel as a sign of, I am Like you, and you are like me. And that's the kind of brotherhood that Christians are privileged to enter into with Jesus Christ. And that's tantamount to taking his name. In fact, we all do it without it being so obvious. As soon as we call ourselves a Christian, we are essentially taking Christ's name and calling ourselves by his name. And so it's fascinating that in the financial realm, Bitcoin being the system that reflects the character and the law of God is a system that people are taking the name of directly for themselves. In all kinds of places, you can see people calling themselves Satoshi, you know, with some variation, you know. And then we could go into the subject of Satoshi and his disappearance as well, as a comparison or metaphor for how Christ, part of his experience in having come to the earth, having shown humanity how to live a good, a righteous, a just, and holy life, you know, having done that, then he disappeared, okay? I mean, you know, he died, and rose again, and ascended to heaven. And we no longer see him. But he's still with us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. In the same way, Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever he was, and maybe it was a council of people, uh, you know, just as Jesus was part of the divine council, you know, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto came, did a work, in the world, by creating Bitcoin, he taught us, so to speak, how to follow monetary policy, how to practice monetary policy in a self-sovereign way, according to principles, which are just and true, like the principles of the kingdom of God. And then he ultimately, you know, disappeared. And to this day, we don't know his true name or who he was or where he went or anything. And so I think all that was not by accident. And so for people to name themselves, you know, name their accounts online after Satoshi is really a testament to the sort of anonymity. And it's what makes Satoshi so tangible To us, like, uh, for example, anyone could have been Satoshi. You know, it, it wasn't, it didn't take rocket science to invent Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, cryptography is not trivial, okay? But it's also not rocket science, you know? And when you have the tools in hand, pretty much anybody that, you know, kind of has the basic understanding of technical things can understand how to build Bitcoin, So Satoshi is a very down-to-earth figure. And, you know, he's often uh, depicted, you know, in sort of the pleb culture of Bitcoin as, you know, just being a common, ordinary person, you know, wearing his hoodie and, you know, whatever. And this persona is just... (laughs) so comparable to the sort of Jesus figure persona of, you know, Jesus being just kind of an ordinary person, you know, one that if you would see him in real life, you'd be like, oh, you know, it wouldn't really attract much attention or excitement. It's just an ordinary person, you know. And that was even sort of amplified. That that significance of his name was even amplified at the time of, um, well, when the angel appeared to Mary and told her that his name would be Jesus because he would save his people. He would save the people, the common people from their sins. So therefore he was called Jesus because he was coming for the common people. See, that's the, the point there. Jesus was such a common name that it just anybody was named Jesus, you know. And so he was given such a common name. Such an unspecial name at that time, uh, you know, so that, it, you know, as an example for how he can relate to the common people. And Satoshi is kind of the same way. He's this figure of a sort of an ordinary person who developed Bitcoin and, you know, set it into motion and kind of handed it off to the community and, you know, and, and now he just stands as a symbol for the common person that just you know calls themselves Satoshi, just like you know the multitudes who call themselves John or who are named John uh, or who were named Jesus or Joshua in uh, in that time. And so that's I think very very important because it's completely opposite. It's completely contradictory to the sort of kingly system where it's all about having a name it's all about making a name for yourself you know like you know the highest pope being the peter of the roman church you know that that's so uh, contrary to this humility and sort of ordinariness of the way that jesus appeared to the world and the way that satoshi appeared to the world. And so that's just, there's a lot, there's a a, a deep lesson in that. And, you know, that's one of the reasons, you know, I want to mention this in particular. That's one of the reasons why in this podcast, I don't give my name or, you know, say who I am. It's because that's not important, and you know, kind of unfortunately, I've uh, referred to things that if if you follow the clues, you can figure out who I am. But and it's it's not that it's a secret or anything, and anyone could really figure it out if they listen to me long enough. But but the point is, I don't want to draw attention to that, and that has never been my. It, Intention, and it, uh, and you know, it, it continues not to be my intention to draw attention to myself. I'm only doing this podcast because I believe that the things that I'm saying here—I I mean, I haven't heard them anywhere else—and they kind of have come to me as insights as I've been doing my personal studies, and so I think. I believe that they are new concepts to most people and concepts that are valuable. Certainly, they have been to me, and I believe they can be to others. And therefore, I do this podcast. It's it's only because I don't think anybody else is doing it, and I'm just kind of stepping in to fill in the gap. Um, not because I think I'm somebody special. I'm not. And not because I want to make myself great or you know to be something that I'm not and so I I am just you know I I don't even want to say an ordinary person because in many ways I feel um, you know I mean I have my problems I have my you know you hear one side of me in this podcast and you know there's there's always a risk of you know when you see somebody in a certain context all the time that you think you know basically you get a one-sided view and that isn't necessarily the whole picture and you know you don't know what I struggle with you don't know how poor so to speak that I am in you know other contexts and so uh you know I don't think you have any reason to but I'll just say don't put me on a pedestal I am just an ordinary person but perhaps even less than the average person in in some respects, you know, so I'm nothing to idolize, but, um, but I, you know, still I put myself out there and, you know, not because I want attention or because I want to make a name for myself or whatever. That's exactly what I'm trying not to do. And that's why I didn't include my name in this podcast in any way. So I just want to, you know, make that clear that that was intentional because, you know, And I think the example of Satoshi Nakamoto is a good one in that sense that he kind of just gave to the world and did not expect anything in return and didn't even capitalize on the wealth that, you know, he could have uh, by virtue of, you know, having mined a lot of the early Bitcoin. But the point that I really want to drive home here is that the persona of Satoshi Nakamoto is comparable to the humility of individual Christians that even though a Christian is a child of God, even though a Christian is a prince, is a king in terms of his relation through Christ to God, Christians as individuals are still down-to-earth people, should be. Not to say every... Christian lives up to the standard of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ, as the example for all Christians, very much did live a humble life. He, you know, hardly had a a place to call home, you know, hardly had a a pillow to lay his head on, you know. He wasn't wealthy in this life, on this earth, and yet he was king. He owned the whole universe. And so, you know, Christian's are called to that same character, that same humility, that even though they are wealthy in the sight of God in spiritual terms, even though they are kings and priests to God, they are, we are called to be humble and to be down-to-earth, ordinary people. And this is the ethic of the pleb culture of Bitcoin. This is the ethic of you know, being the common person, being the the pleb, the plebeian, who, you know, just, you know, wears the common clothing, the, the hoodie, the, you know, the down-to-earth attire, not the, you know, in contrast to, you know, the important bankers, you know, wearing their suits and ties and, you know, this type of thing, or the respected church elders who, you know, are, you know, wearing their suits and ties, you know. So, you know, and that's not to disparage, you know, good, you know, humble, you know, church leaders and, you know, Others, you know, in whatever profession they happen to be in, uh, you know, just because you dress nicely doesn't mean you're a bad person, okay? You know, that's not the, the point I'm trying to make. But the point is that as Christians, we are called to be humble. Humble, everyday people who, who are in touch with humanity, in touch with our fellow human beings, right? And, you know, that includes sympathy and sort of a common sense of destiny and purpose. And uh, there's a lot that goes into that. But all this is sort of encompassed in this organization of the church through the Holy Spirit that kind of brings a common bond to the entire church body, And brings the body together in unity, in coordination, just like a well-trained, balanced human being. That is how the body of Christ should be, with Christ as the head. Leading and directing through the Holy Spirit, like the nervous system throughout the body. So, yeah, so I feel like I've been going on for a while, and I don't know how long this podcast is gonna be i actually wanted to get into some different topics um but i probably (laughs) i see i'm not gonna have time so back to this topic of bitcoiners you know buying church buildings or Forming organizations uh, that could take advantage of tax benefits, yeah, I think be careful about that uh, because you know then you come under the thumb of government as far as what you have to teach, what kind of values your organization has to embody. And that may or may not, most likely not, be in complete alignment with your values as a Bitcoiner. But, um, you know, this reminds me, though, in general, uh, about a particular incident in which Jesus was traveling and he was in Samaria at the well. And I think you all know the story, the story of the woman at the well. And, you know, one of the things he said there, first of all, there was this discussion between him and the woman and uh, recognizing that he was kind of a spiritual leader of some kind she kind of probed him on some questions that were obviously important at, in you know at, in that day and that was regarding the location of worship so you know we're talking about bitcoiners buying churches and you know where do you hold your meetings you know so yeah Maybe this is related in some way. Okay, you you decide. But um, but she, you know, there was this conversation about the place of worship. Should people do as the Jews did and taught? Should people go to Jerusalem, where the temple was, to worship God there, or should people worship God in Samaria? on the mountain that they considered sacred because of its uh, historic connection to Abraham and Isaac and you know the you know the, the story there. And you know the Samaritans taught that that's where people should go to worship. And so there was this sort of argument between the Jews and the Samaritans as to where a person should worship. And of course, each one wanted the place of worship to be in their own land, that's obviously part of the conflict there as well. But, but she brings this question to Jesus and says, you know, the Jews say we ought to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus answers in a very interesting way. He doesn't confirm Jerusalem as the place where people ought to worship. Isn't that interesting? He himself is a Jew, right? He himself went to the temple, cleansed it a couple of times from the money changers. That's a whole subject of its own. We ought to do an episode on that. But, um, you know, so Jesus obviously recognized the significance of the temple in some sense and of Jerusalem in some sense. But yet when the Samaritan asked him, he didn't say, yeah, we should go, you should worship in Jerusalem. You know, he he didn't say that. And let's just turn to that right now and read his exact words. Now, let's just start in, this is John chapter 4, verse 19. Let's start with verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, verse 21, Jesus answers, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So these are very, very interesting words. And, you know, Jesus confirmed that the Jewish religion was the way of salvation. It says salvation is of the Jews. That doesn't mean only Jews will be saved. Mm-hmm. It's not at all the point here. But it means that the way of salvation came through the jews through the jewish religion and ultimately through jesus christ who was a jew and in the same way we can make the comparison or make an application of this principle here today you know today it's not the jewish religion that teaches the way of salvation it's the christian religion and We could say in this context of, you know, churches, you know, one of the questions about, you know, whether or not it's okay to buy a church for a Bitcoin meetup is the question of, you know, whether it's, you know, disrespectful to the church, maybe, or maybe just distasteful for the Bitcoiners. You know, there's just a kind of a a feeling about it that's like, well, is that really right? Or I don't know, it's, it's just kind of, it makes you stop and think, you know. It's like, hmm. and that's kind of what the words of Jesus do here in this passage. It's like, you know, He didn't say, "Yeah, Jerusalem is the place to worship," and you know, He said, "The time is coming, the hour cometh, when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father." In other words, it's not about the location, okay? It's not about where you worship as much as how you worship. And it says, that the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So that's the kind of worship that God wants. Worship in spirit and in truth. Now, worship in spirit refers to something that's not physical, okay? So it's not about going to a church building. Wow. Interesting. Now, not to say you shouldn't go to a church building. Okay, that's not the point here. It's not about that. It's not about location. It's about how you worship. It's about worshiping in spirit, in mind. In other words, having the right principles. That's worshiping in spirit. It's about having the right mindset. That's worshiping in spirit. And so if you just go to church for the tradition, and meanwhile, your mindset is a completely worldly mindset, that's not worshiping in spirit. And when you go to worship in any kind of church and you're completely in alignment with the world and with the world's monetary policy, with the printing of money to solve pandemics, for example, when you're in agreement with that kind of injustice, it doesn't matter what building you're going to worship in. That's not worshiping with the right spirit. That's not worshiping in truth. To worship in spirit and in truth means you have the right concept of what is right, what is true. You have the right doctrines. You have the right teachings. You have the right understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And part of that includes financial principles. You have the understanding that it's dishonest for the government. Not dishonest. It's theft for the government to print money, to fabricate money, In so doing, stealing value from the citizens, from the Joes, from the Jesuses, from the Johns of the world, from the Satoshis of the world, from the plebs of the world, stealing that value out of their pockets by printing money and devaluing devaluing the currencies, that is robbery. That is stealing from the poor and then giving to the rich, giving to the companies that are, you know, doing whatever the agendas of the government are. And so if you want to worship in truth, then you have to be against those things. And that's what Bitcoiners are by virtue of being Bitcoiners, right? They have an understanding, a right understanding of financial policy of money, how money works and how it should work and what true money is, what just money is. And that's something that When you use Bitcoin, you put into practice, it becomes a part of your actions, right? As long as you're still buying and selling and doing everything with fiat money, you are participating in the wrong mindset. You're not worshipping God. You're worshipping mammon. You're worshipping the world. You're paying tribute to the powers of this world that are stealing and doing other horrible things as well that are against God and against the principles of his kingdom. And so there's a whole lot more at stake here than just, you know, financial benefit or financial survival or financial anything. It's it's not just about finances. It's about morals. And, you know, dollars, fiat in general, dollars are dirty, morally dirty, because when you use them, you're enabling this system of corruption And let's call it what it is. You know, a lot of times, you know, kind of countries, especially, yeah, I mean, a lot of smaller countries get a bad rap for being corrupt, you know, because, um, you know, sometimes the officials will take bribes and things like that. And yeah, that is a form of corruption. But another form of corruption that's perhaps worse and more blatant is when your government openly prints money basically takes from the whole population in one foul swoop without even asking at least the corruption in other countries is consensual right at least it's the per, the, the the population who voluntarily you know pays for you know expediting a service or something like that you know and i'm not condoning that but i'm just drawing a contrast that at least it's kind of an isolated mutual consent type of thing but when you have powerful political figures making decisions or financial figures making decisions to just print money and steal that wealth straight from the pockets of the entire population that is not just corruption it is corruption but it's not just corruption it's criminal It's theft. It's breaking the law of God overtly, blatantly. You know, people don't vote for those things. That's not part of the democratic process. That is a king exercising dictatorial dominance over the people. And I'm sorry, that's wrong. And when you use the fiat money, you enable that system. You are no king when you do that. You are a serf, you are a servant. You are a slave to that system. So while you have any semblance of freedom, use that freedom to posture yourself like a king by securing your own Bitcoin. Recognize that you have a choice and that, that God has given you the ability to choose to follow the principles of his kingdom instead of the principles of the world and use that choice yeah, there might be sacrifices involved. Every choice we make has consequences, has costs. Yeah, I get it. But make your choice and make it a wise one and worship God in spirit and in truth. And maybe that's going to your Bitcoin meetup. Maybe that's uh, using a church building for a purpose other than religion. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, You know, that's not my decision to make at this point but that's a decision that some bitcoiners are obviously facing and you know may the holy spirit if they are christians may the holy spirit guide them in that decision and it will be interesting to kind of see what the outcome is but um yeah so now just continuing in this passage i think it shouldn't be overlooked that the very next That Jesus said to the woman was that he was the Christ. She was the first person that he point blank told who he was. He revealed his identity to her. And I think that's particularly significant in the context of this worshiping in spirit and in truth. That what's more important than going to worship in Jerusalem or going to worship in the mountain of the fathers, so to speak, is recognizing the savior himself and worshiping him. So, to all you bitcoiners out there, I say, recognize, open your eyes and see Jesus Christ. And and to the Christians, I can only say, keep looking up until you find the return of the one you're looking for, the return of Jesus Christ. Okay, so I think we're going to call that an episode and I just want to wish you all a blessed week and I also did want to apologize for the poor quality in the audio last week. Unfortunately, I'm just a common pleb. I don't have the luxury of a studio or anything like that, and I was unlucky to have noisy neighbors last week when I did the recording, and unfortunately, you could really hear that. So I do apologize for that, and uh, thankfully, it's been uh, quieter today. So be blessed and take the actions that are appropriate here and now in this world, in this life, to live in full harmony with the principles of Jesus Christ, the principles of his kingdom, the pattern of which is in the heavens, where you should be looking as you await being translated to that heavenly kingdom. God bless you.